to all those who are uh, joining the uh, symposium. Um, I am one of the co-chairs of the Medford Energy and Environment Committee, Bob Payne, and um, I'm uh, very happy to welcome you to tonight's um, symposium, which will feature three very interesting uh, presentations. While we're waiting for a few more people to join, uh, just to let you know that chat will be disabled except for the panelists, but you will be able to uh, enter questions in the Q&A box. Uh, you'll be able to basically see the questions um, during the presentation and then uh, during a, a, a approximately 10 minute period at the end of each half hour presentation, um, the questions, questions will be uh, basically reviewed by um, a couple of the moderators and they will ask the presenters uh, questions in turn to try to go through the ones that are maybe popular or, or those that um, maybe have been asked by multiple people. Um, so uh, we'll be starting in a few minutes, very few minutes. And so uh, stay tuned and, and, and welcome to tonight's uh, symposium. And Bob, I'll just add one thing that um, along with the Q&A box at the bottom, there will be, um, as Bob mentioned, time for question and answer after each presentation. And you'll also be able to uh, raise your hand by clicking that function on Zoom. Um, so if you prefer to say your question out loud, that's also a possibility. Okay. Thank you for that clarification. Natalie, let me know when you think we have um, you know, critical mass to actually start the preliminary introductions and to our groups. I think it might be okay to kick it off now. Um, we're about 10 minutes in, so I think that's good. Folks might still trickle in, but I think that's all right. Okay. Uh, by the way, uh, 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 there are two organizations that are coordinating this uh, set of presentations, and we are very lucky to get three exciting uh, uh, presenting uh, groups. Uh, the Medford Energy and Environment Committee is one and the Tufts Energy uh, uh, group is the other. So uh, I'll start with the Medford Energy and Environment Committee. Um, and we see here uh, a photo of um, the Mystic River near the, uh, the, the McGuinn School, the, uh, the, the 100 kilowatt uh, wind turbine, a north wind uh, uh, turbine, which was installed in uh, 2009, and I'll have more on that later. Uh, and it sort of stands guard over the school, and uh, it's an emblem of one of the accomplishments we've made uh, as a committee in our prior committee. Uh, the, mission of, the mission statement for the committee is to promote policies and actions that improve energy efficiency, encourage conservation, and increase the use of renewable energy to meet our present needs while considering future generations of the Medford community. Now, uh, we have a group of about uh, 10 uh, volunteers. We actually volunteer our time, but we work with the Medford Office of Energy and the Environment to support the city's goals of energy independence and environmental stewardship. Uh, I'm gonna go over some of the uh, members in the next couple slides. 
uh, as a committee, we provide technical and consulting expertise of the city. We actually um, had to submit our resumes for consideration to uh, the mayor uh, and be selected on the basis of uh, capabilities and, and, and ability to provide the technical and consulting expertise. So we do organize energy and environmental related projects, events, and programs that benefit the residents of Medford. Um, and we do have a variety of expertise in the areas of energy efficiency, clean energy, community outreach, and education. And I happen to be a meteorologist. Um, these members of the group, uh, first of all, Alicia Hunt is the director of the Office of Energy and Environment. Uh, Luke McNeely, who is actually one of the presenters, and I are co-chairs. Uh, other members on this slide are, oops, let's, I think we're going forward uh, too fast here. Okay, Barry Ingbar and Loretta James. Loretta James has actually worked with Luke on the second presentation. Now let's go forward. Uh, Nicole Morrell is actually uh, on our committee, but also a city councilor. We also have John Rogers, Martha Andres, Kathleen McKenna, Jessica Parks, and Dave Hampton uh, to round out the members of our committee. Um, by the way, we have a website, and I'll show you that link where you can get more information on the background of each member. Some of the programs we've been dealing with in the past have been idle-free uh, educational outreach to try to um, encourage a reduction of idling of cars, especially in uh, sensitive areas like school uh, schools, uh, in, uh, increasing awareness and promoting home energy assessments through no-cost uh, programs operated by MassSafe, for example. Every year, except this year was rained out, <laughs> the Harvest Your Energy Festival is a, is a fall event where we uh, feature local green organizations. And uh, often we've had, in coordination with that festival, a green awards program where we have annual awards for environmentally deserving citizens and businesses. And we did have a Solarize Medford program a few years ago where there was a, a group purchasing opportunity to reduce the cost of residential and business solar. Now the wind turbine um, was uh, installed by a, a prior committee, which I was actually on, uh, installed in January 2009, 100 kilowatt capacity, supplies about 10% of the uh, adjacent schools electricity, and is an educational school for, uh, educational tool that is for the school and the public. And my last slide is basically the website where you can get more information on our activities. We also have a, a Facebook page. Okay, I'm gonna stop sharing and I'm going to pass the baton. It's that laser of the Tufts Energy Group. Thank you very much. My name is Sam Glazer and I am the current president of Tufts Energy Group. Um, and let me share this. So we are a on main group of mainly undergraduate students who um, are seek to engage and educate Tufts undergraduates in issues surrounding energy, as well as we want to act as a one-stop um, resource for students who want to engage in the industry. Part of what we do is we work closely with different conferences, including the MIT Energy Conference and the Tufts Energy Conference, where we try and connect students to these different events nearby 
and get boost attendance and promote awareness on the campus. For the Tufts Energy Conference, we are fortunate enough to get to work closely with the planning process um, for this great conference that happens every year and will be happening virtually um, at the end of February this year. In addition, we do one of the more fun events that we try and do every year during a normal school year is that we try and host different tours in, with surrounding facilities, including Greentown Labs and the Tufts Energy um, Building. So these seek to educate the student body while getting them out and engaging with um, clean energy and promoting energy efficiency. And this serves as a great way for students to meet like-minded like peers that are also very interested, um, as well as getting to see these new technologies that are getting implemented. In addition, we have our eyes set on a lot of different projects throughout the years. And one of our more interesting ones was um, collaborating with Tufts on, the, on their smart housing project. Tufts received a grant specifically to build a new house entirely from scratch with construction focusing on sustainability and energy efficiency. Um, for, we are fortunate enough to participate in the planning process for this house as well as promote the use of different energy efficient features in the different community housing um, renovations that they were doing that year as well. Um, we also provide a website that um, serves as our main stop for students to be to get more educated on everything that the energy group has done. We also provide a lot of resources there as possible internships and resources to um, get your foot into the industry as that can be very difficult for new students um, as well as providing different description of the classes that they can take this year um, and here we also promote local events that are going on um, whether or not we are affiliated with them so if you want to find out more information our website is right here um, and you can find us just by looking up Tufts Energy Group. We also have a Facebook and Instagram that can keep you updated on both um, the resources or the events happening nearby as well as our own events. Um, we mainly serve as a group that are just trying to get all the, any student um, more aware about the clean energy industry and trying to get them to engage more with it on campus. So a lot of the times um, students use us for the resource that we provide on our website and we are happy to do so. So now I will introduce um, Henry, our first speaker. He is, um, sorry. He is described as a visionary um, and Henry founded Solar Wave Energy in 1978. Over the last 30 years, he has been involved in all aspects of the design, installation, and service of solar thermal systems, including overseeing um, site-built and factory-built collectors and systems. Um, Henry has been honored with the Cambridge First Day Award given by MIT and the City of Cambridge, his work preserving the environment and the Distinguished Service Award from the Northeast Sustainable Energy Association. He continues to consult on solar thermal designs for building applications. 
And today's presentation from Henry will be focused on what does 100% renewables mean and how do we get there, um, where he'll describe the rational path that includes energy efficiency and deploying appropriate solar technologies while focusing on the benefits of these technologies. Um, so without further ado, I welcome Henry. Do you have the screen share, Henry? Also, you're muted, Henry. Mute. Great. There's, there's part of it. Very nice introduction, thank you. Um, and if I get this and then... You'd think I'd get this technology after a while. That looked like it? Not yet. Except you had the previous slide. Nope. Um, I think you didn't fully share it with us. Okay. Sorry about this. Damn, excuse me. Having. So if you have the green share screen button, you want to click that and then select your PowerPoint window. I did. And then you need to hit share again at the bottom. Okay. Okay. Great. Uh, Except for, yep, okay. Getting closer? Yep. You have the um, preview window? Now we see your full slides. Is that, do you have your notes? That, huh? You see no notes or see notes? Nope, we see notes. This is perfect. Okay, great. Okay. Um, takes me a little while with technology. I actually, um, these days, run a um, technology company, so it's, I guess, embarrassment sort of goes along with this. Um, but when you're getting that nice introduction, I was thinking back of uh, one of my teachers um, from Tufts. I did not go to Tufts, but um, Ron Thornton, who I think is still there, a physics professor, um, he was sitting on his back stoop one day and just thinking of giving his uh, students a, a question or so. And he looked up on his roof and he just was kind of scratching his head and just looking at that roof and just thinking if he could scrape 10% of the energy that fell off of it, 
off the roof, uh, hmm, that wouldn't heat his whole house. So he um, he worked with some other people at the um, Boston chapter of Nessie back then with a past comp competition kind of uh, group where they um, were using calculators. I don't think we had the calculators like they were using today. Uh, we have more capacity on our phones, but um, they did a lot of neat um, calculations and stuff on, on that. But what I'd like to try to do is <clears throat> give a little bit of um, what is kind of ACES's um, mission, and that's um, ACES is the American Solar Energy Society, and their mission is to um, help get the country and the world to use 100% um, renewables, to have 100% renewables be our um, economy. And um, I'd like to try to give a little bit of a roadmap to that, a few options, small and large, um, a little bit of the math to try to figure out what to, um, you know, how to at least do the back of the envelope and to not be surprised in magnitude because um, there's only so much sunlight that hits us and um, it's good to have a little bit of perspective. And since this is half a student group, um, some of the math would be for the students to maybe deal with afterwards. But, so what does 100% um, uh, renewables really mean? Um, as with a lot of energy efficiency things, energy efficiency, energy efficiency. As your energy audits you do uh, through the city of Medford, um, reduce first and um, efficiency is where we get most of our bang for our buck. Today, photovoltaics are um, the sexiest type of solar energy is almost magical, but an LED bulb compared to a incandescent is almost like a very inexpensive uh, photovoltaic cell. It's just not quite as sexy in that way. So try to um, show a few of the appropriate um, solar technologies, um, but each time we take a look at it, we look through the lens of efficiency. And um, Amy Levins uh, runs the um, uh, a program on the Rocky Mountain Institute, and he was trained around here in Harvard and MIT. And he coined an expression of megawatt. And a kilowatt hour or megawatt hour, megawatt meaning the energy that you didn't use, and they both equal the same amount of money on your uh, energy bill. Only thing is the megawatts are usually easier to um, come by than the kilowatts. It's easier to conserve than it is to produce. Um, and um, one of the things that, and maybe we've been learning by this recent election, but um, a few elections ago, I was at a fundraiser and Al Gore was there and it's one thing he taught me, it was the word urgency. So when we look at these things, we kind of look at these, try to figure out what can we actually move into our economies now so that we want to never forget that word urgency. Um, oops. Um, there's a number of different technologies across um, the world that are used for this, and some you're familiar with, um, on the larger scale, 
there's things like that tower power power um, concentrators in the upper left. Um, this was in Barstow, California. Um, community solar and fields of utility solar, like the uh, arrays in the upper right, which are in Dover, Mass. Wind has come from um, being small wind turbines, um, little house in the prairie kind of stuff, to being big house in the prairie and huge wind farms out in open spaces or ocean wind. And um, ocean and river power is being used. Are two shots of a um, ocean renewable power company up in Maine, and they now are deploying um, line tide um, systems. And there's a couple of shots of some um, photovoltaics on either fact on a factory in Massachusetts and in a community. Community solar is sometimes like that large array at the top, or sometimes it's many um, many homes when they're connected by the grid in a way they're sort of, they're not exactly a microgrid, but in a way they are sharing the same feeder line to the utility so that um, they are impacting it. And um, the more of those we have um, has been referred to as dis distributed generation, um, the more um, vibrant we have as a grid. Um, I think I'm pushing the wrong button. Um, so, when making any kind of assessment, it really comes down to um, load and understanding your load. So what are you going to use this energy for? And when, like the energy audit, the mass save audit, they come to your house and they um, measure how much you, you use. We want to go a little deeper than that and kind of understand the nuances and understand the opportunities for being able to optimize um, both energy efficiency resources as well as solar resource. So when you look at an energy bill, um, you wanna look at the patterns. So you wanna look at the year long um, use, seasonal, how that, you know, whether it's weekly or um, yearly seasons, it all matters how much space heating you're using uh, are you heating and cooling that building at the same time? Um, is there, are there opportunities for synergy between that? Um, do you heat a pool in the summertime and uh, heat the house in the wintertime if it's a house? Um, do you um, uh, exhaust more heat than you actually think you were doing? Um, energy audit might... Um, or a lot of times people might say, okay, let's look at your hot water load. So how many people do you have? So if it's 15, 20 gallons a day per person, um, you raise it at a certain degrees. Let's say if you bring it in at um, 40 degrees and you raise it to 125 in your water heater and you take a shower or use sink at 105 and you send it down the drain at 70, your net energy cost into the building is really different between the 40 and the 70. So at the same time you happen to use cold water and you happen to use, most people use twice as much cold water as they do hot water. So they bring it in the same 40, they either leave it in a toilet or in a sink and then they flush it down the drain, it goes out at 60. So it's only a 20, 20 degree rise compared to a 30 degree rise, but since you use twice as much 
cold water than you do hot water. You really, in New England in the wintertime, you more use more energy heating or processing cold water than you do hot water. So if you want to save energy, really concentrate on the cold water, which really means concentrate on all the water use because the water that goes through our buildings <clears throat> is taking a lot of heat out of it and it costs a lot of energy to bring that in. So that looking at all these things at the same time gives you a chance to think of, do you have some opportunity for uh, heat recovery? If it's a um, house, it may not be unless it's new construction. Um, it may be more for something for um, uh, commercial buildings and things like that, um, where, where there's enough energy to, um, uh, to, warrant, <clears throat> to warrant a mechanical system. The solar industry has oftentimes gone towards, it's been tax credit driven and it needs to really be driven towards a load and larger loads um, make um, more opportunities just in that way. Um, there is some math. It does start with the sun 93 million miles away. And then what they refer to as a solar constant is the amount of energy outside of the atmosphere, but then down on the planet, we have a certain amount, about 300 um, in the desert, cl clear sun, 250 per square foot here in Boston. Um, it, this perspective just means that you can't make a square foot of something that produces twice as much as that. There are a lot of salesmen who might like to have that, but um, it's kind of a uh, diffuse um, energy source, but there is a lot of energy in it. So in a square foot, you can collect um, 100 or 200,000 BTUs per square foot per year. So that means you're going to reap a gallon of oil through a south-facing window. Um, it's um, easier to do it through sunlight than through the, the oil. So that, that um, just some figures on um, a, a back of the envelope, a crude back of the envelope for 800 gallons of oil off of a single family house. But <clears throat> heating is not, um, it, it doesn't produce as much um, energy per square foot as domestic hot water. Mainly, you could take the same system, but mainly because you're only using it in the wintertime. So to optimize the equipment, year-round loads matter. So when you look at the load, you look at whether or not you're just oh, I have two people living in this huge house and very expensive roof, so it's going to be very expensive collectors to install, whether it's PV or thermal, thermal. But we're always away in the summertime. So that means we never use any energy in the summertime, so we're not getting the benefit. So or I live in a wonderful treated area, and you know it's only half shady. And it's like the little kid with... Um, you know, they hold their hand up to their face and I can't see you. you know, they think the branches... Um, only shade half of it. Uh, it's about as realistic as a little kid trying to hide behind a stick. Um, if you have a half shaded collector, whether it's PV or thermal, you get half the output, which means it costs you twice as much. Um, we need to deploy very well acting, um, very well performing systems. And um, all energy has the same um, cost for uh, BTU, depending on how pricing is. Um, oil and energy prices are incredibly volatile. It's the only, the main thing that I didn't realize when I got into this industry 40 years ago is how 
expeditely volatile they were. If you look at the volatility of the political scene, you can understand that um, how a lot of oil-driven um, pricing is in that. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, these are some numbers that since these slides are um, available, just some of the back of the envelope stuff for the amount of BTUs in different uh, things. The solar technologies um, I'd like to look at is some of the passive things. When I got into this business, uh, solar was a combination between passive or active solar and some photovoltaics. Now, now people on the street mostly say it's just well, electric stuff, right? The photovoltaics. But um, passive is more like um, the architecture of the building, um, natural daylighting and passive heating. Um, some things that can be practical, some things that are kind of not. And the same is true with any of these technologies. Um, also, there's some active thermal systems, um, transpired collectors, which is a weird name for things, but um, nobody really knows what it means, at least not people in the street. Um, so something as simple as pinholes on the south side of a building that use um, to bring in the makeup air. Um, don't get done. I'll show some slides of that in a minute. Um, and then in the electrical area, there's regular photovoltaic panels and um, there's also many hybrids that skim the heat off the panel, increasing the efficiency of the PV, as well as taking usable heat. Some of those are used with heat pumps, some of those are used directly. <coughs> um, in the wide thermal category, um, physically, it is... Um, it's more efficient as far as the amount of energy it takes off of a surface. So that if you have a roof, if you have a net zero building, you're trying to make it net zero, you're trying to skim as much energy off the building. You want to take, <coughs> excuse me, um, it's hard in Zoom things to have somebody pass you a glass of water these days, but um, in um, net zero, you only have a certain amount of energy that hits the building. So, um, PV therms or PVT panels will become much more um, common on, um, on buildings. It will take a little bit longer before to be common on those fields, uh, community solar ones, unless they have a large load. In this country, we've not gotten to community um, um, energy where we have um, district heating. We have some district steam, but we don't have district hot water. In Europe, there's some um, places where there's... Um, district heating and cooling, where they have pipes running underneath the ground and big storage places that whether they're a um, big reservoir or a, um, a pit of clay where the heat's stored in, in the soil. Um, and um, so a little bit of a round robin here. In the upper left is a daylighting um, system uh, referred to as a solar staircase. It is a uh, roof. This happens to be in a dining hall at a school. Um, it's a roof where the tread is a reflector and the risers are a glazing and there's also multiple glaz glazings below it. So this it brings in um, daylight year round and in the wintertime when the sun's low in the sky, it brings in light and heats the building. In the summertime, it keeps that heating out of it, so there's not much. If we go around the top, the 
top is a <clears throat> um, typical flat plate collector, blackened surface, heats up, very simple technology. It's actually been around 100 years or so. Off to the right, it's evacuated tubes, which is like a thermos bottle, which gets to a higher temperature. And below both of those are some arrays, some small commercial arrays in the Boston area. And off to the left, there, <clears throat> bottom left is a transpired solar um, wall collector, which is used for makeup air. In buildings, we like to breathe. I sometimes don't breathe enough, but you want to breathe. And in a building, you want to have uh, about 15 cubic feet per minute per person. So in the wintertime, it's zero outside. You want to be bringing in that cold air. <clears throat> no, you don't want to be bringing in cold air. You want to be able to bring in air to, to be heated. So what you do is you skim it off of that south wall. That south wall collector can, um, in Boston can typically um, reap about uh, one to two therms per square foot um, per year. It's um, this, uh, this is a close-up of the, um, the solar staircase. So that was done by Norm Saunders, who was um, an ACES uh, solar pioneer award um, a number of years ago, and also uh, one of my teachers and worked with Ron. So this is a little bit more details of that. There are <clears throat> a few in the, in the Boston area, but not many. Um, sometimes things that you don't know that they're there, um, you don't, um, you just, they don't get replicated sometimes. It's just a little bit too simple. Um, there's one, uh, there's, this is a, a apartment building in Cambridge um, with a solar wall and a penthouse of the roof. Uh, it was in discussion to be value engineered out. Um, they kept it in, but it's kind of, sort of funny to have something that has a less than a five-year payback to be valued engineered out. It just when you can cut costs anytime, <clears throat> sometimes you just um, cut them. But what this basically is, is um, sheet metal with perforations in it. It's very highly engineered. NREL, the National Renewable Laboratory, probably spent a million dollars on uh, research on it. They happened to do that after um, they realized that there was a Canadian company that had patented on it. But it's kind of neat to see at that time that egos did not get um, in the way that people still worked on, on the program because it is just such a um, energy saver in a way. So that um, it's very simple, should be on any commercial building, any makeup area. It almost costs too much in talking time to do it on a residential because in a residential, if you're using, um, you put in about uh, at flow rates of maybe five CFM per square foot. So maybe you need a 50 or 100 square foot thing on a, on a house. So it wouldn't be costly enough to really have the marketing time of our conversation, a paying salesman, but it should just be there. It's like a heat recovery ventilator. This should be just a simple little piece that's just naturally put on and it will get that way. It does happen up in Canada more where it's colder winters. Sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to give you a quick time check that yeah. we're at about a three minute warning here and we want to leave okay. time for questions. Thank you. Thanks. <clears throat> so, you know, I didn't have a clock in front of me. Um, thank you for doing that. Um, summer bypass. They just bypass in the summertime. Um, and in the wintertime, it um, 
preheats the air so that instead of the zero degree, you bring in 50 degrees, you bring it in um, more than half what you have, but it's a very cheap way of doing it. Um, pool panels have been used for a long time. Sometimes the same kind of panels are used for um, um, large processing plants. Um, those evacuated tubes to show you. Um, in the, the mid-range temperature, um, this is a um, system down the Cape. Um, the um, um, <clears throat> the mechanical part of it. So collectors in a roof, it's heating domestic hot water and also heating a pool. In that sizing thing, you know, that load, they really wanted it to heat hot water. And they said, oh, you had a pool too, you know, but um, they end up figuring out afterwards. I mean, they, the installer was smart enough to be able to tell them to, you know, you should, you get a pool, you should, we'll put it in the heat exchanger so you can do both. And um, <clears throat> so it turns out it maxes out the um, hot water storage for, and covers all the hot water for the uh, domestic hot water. So after that, they end up just going to the pool. So they heat the storage tank in the daytime and then dump heat into the pool. And then later it um, um, heats domestic hot water. So I took a couple of shots today, <clears throat> earlier in the day, a shot of the monitoring. This is a monitoring program that shows um, actually, actively what it's doing. So earlier in the day, and then at, at um, <clears throat> me, about six o'clock, a little bit before this, saw that the, the storage tank, and this is the 800 gallon storage tank there, was still at 138 degrees. And so while the collector loop is off, it's pumping heat into the domestic hot water for the showers for the, um, the swimmers there. It's, um, it's a, a large Olympic sized school, I think. And, um, so they are able to do that after um, the fact. So um, in review, audit, really look at what you're doing. Um, address and understand the conservation um, and audit again. It's kind of like um, those kind of mantras there. Um, set your goals. Uh, are you trying to, um, what, what are you trying to, trying to do? Um, is it carbon? Um, sometimes people are looking at some biomass, but you really need to look at the biomass in a way, are you taking something that would have otherwise um, gone into methane into the atmosphere or are you doing some biomass that's a new feed crop that you know, so you're just kind of using a newer carbon compared to a fossil fuel carbon. Um, bottom line in why PV is um, so strong these days is the financing options um, and incentive options are um, very strong these days, particularly in photovoltaics, but they're um, available in um, for different thermal um, as well. If there's a good, um, a good project, it's, it's financeable. Um, so that was maybe my three, was that my three minutes? Hey, Henry, this is Bob Payne. I would like to thank you for your um, presentation. I do have a couple of follow-up questions and I think Luke has one. Yeah. Um, 
I was I was wondering if um, we are looking at in the next few years some revolutionary and advancements in solar in terms of one uh, efficient collection efficiency. Uh, I don't know if we've hit the, the sweet spot on that, and also storage of you know if you don't need it during the day, you need it at night. Can you store it? So, what are your opinions on those issues? If if in storage, there's some. Um it's a case of I mean, economy of um, dollars. Um, there are phase change materials, um, but um, right now, most of those are probably being used for cold storage more than they are for hot storage. Um, for air conditioning loads, um, there are storage packs that are kind of like the um, um, foil um, medical packs that are filled with phase change material that you can put in between your stud in commercial buildings in between your studs or above um, uh, above ceilings, and it enables you to um, cool buildings off and store that um, wrong form of um, technical English as far as you don't really store coolness, but um, you um, allow heat to um, <clears throat> be sucked out of the rest of the building. But the phase change materials, there's more of a market for them to use it for cooling than it is for heating. But there are some who make a thermal battery kind of a cylinders um, more in Europe. And there's an English company that has um, a, um, some storage cells that I've been trying to get to bring them over here. Um, one of the things that was mentioned was uh, the Greentown Labs and, the, and, and there's some programs that they and MassCEC have done where there's been some um, help to bring some uh, UK companies, startups here. Um, and um, I have you know, hopes for that. But the economy, I mean, um, COVID has knocked a lot of stuff out of the energy. Um, it's, 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 um, we're not through that yet. Thank you. Uh, Luke, you had a question as well, right? Yeah. Thank you, Henry. That was really great. Um, and I appreciated one of the photos you showed of the solar thermal for the, uh, the pool heating at the executive residence down in Washington, D.C. Right. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, um, it was a previous administration. <laughs> um <clears throat> I caught uh, just a part of what you had said about the transpired wall um, that you can collect on the south face up to about a therm per square foot. Um, is that over Actually, what more over what that, yeah, yeah. over what period? Is that over an hour over, or over a, over a year? Over a year. Uh, okay, okay. A therm per square foot. I mean, um, yeah. it is. Um, um, so, I mean, if, if, it, if it's thermed, that's um, what a flat plates might do um, is they might collect um, maybe one and a half ish therms, mm -hmm. you know, per, per square foot per year. Wow. <clears throat> so, um, so at a hundred, um, let's say in round figures, a hundred dollars a square foot installed, um, if you're lucky to be that low in a, a building in. Uh, in the city, um, that 
um, the solar walls, transpired collectors might be installed at twenty dollars a square foot today. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm guessing maybe it's twenty five. But um, that wall that I showed was a blank, open, straight piece of wall. Yeah. If that wall had a whole bunch of windows in it, it'd be more expensive. So when you have a building that has a nice blanket south wall and you don't care about it and you need air, then, I mean, you do need air usually, that um, <clears throat> it's, it's cladding. It's, and it's a penthouse that was perfect. It was yeah. penthouse, but even on, on a, like on factory buildings, yeah. um, the first plants that I saw um, that um, I used to work with uh, Conserva a long time ago, um, they did it on factories, and um, a neat thing that it did, and this is kind of an energy efficiency thing, is they had um, some um, Ford plant or two up in um, Canada, and I remember they had a, bat- a battery plant, which is a need a lot of ventilation to get rid of that sulfuric fumes. You know, you just can't can't breathe. So that this was able enabled them to get a lot more makeup area and cheaply. They have a 60-foot high-high um, factory, and you get amazing stratification in that. And you see these go into these factories, and you see these big fans that are blowing air down. And what they did was they bring if you so you have an air that's um, 55 at the floor and 95 up in the ceiling, and they had these big fans to try to bring it down. So instead of doing that, you bring in this preheated outside air, zero outside, you bring it in at 50. 50 doesn't sound so great, but compared to zero, it's great. But you bring it in and you dump it in the top and you dump it in the top through these long ducts where it kind of sprinkles out. And it kind of, this is not the right English, but sort of heavies, it weightens the heat in the the air that's up there. And they could de-stratify those building so they're down to just a, a few degrees you know per the whole building when you normally would have a couple degrees per meter so that it was a less expensive way to destratify and that way when you're destratifying that means you're reducing that that very high ceiling heat i mean the main thing you don't like the ceiling to be that high so you're pushing heat right out the ceiling so you want to bring it down so you're not only bringing it down to where people are so they can experience the heat but you're also stopping the expense is really the expense where you're sending it out. So um, buildings, if you're in the middle of a building, you can keep the room as high as you want. It really doesn't matter. It really matters on the outside. So you really, you're only paying for the energy you're pushing out through the walls or ceilings. So it's in that part that you're paying. So if you de-stratify, it's not just that, I mean, it's, it has a lot of reasons for it that way. A lot of payback. If that makes sense. Thank you, Henry, again for your presentation. And uh, I think we have to move on to the next uh, presentation.